So as Andy mentioned earlier, we're continuing our series this week in Proverbs. And today, uh, Dan is going to be speaking from the first nine verses of chapter 30. So if you have your Bibles, uh, then please find the place uh, roughly in the middle of the Bible. And uh, it'd be great if you could follow along, not just while I'm reading, to make sure I don't make any mistakes, uh, but also as uh, Dan reflects on it and, and brings uh, what God has revealed to him, uh, that you follow along as we, as we go through it. So Proverbs 30 from verse 1 to 9. The sayings of Agur, son of Jacha, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel, I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am not a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehoods and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. So as Dan comes, let me just pray as he comes and brings God's word to us. Lord God, we thank you for Dan. We thank you so much for who he is and for uh, his love for you. And we thank you for the preparation he's put in to this evening. Uh, we thank you that uh, he is opening himself up and he is allowed uh, you to fill him up. And we just pray that you'd anoint his words now. Would you uh, reveal to us what it is that you want us to know from this passage? And would you bless us all, including Dan, as he speaks to us? We thank you in anticipation for the transformational work you're doing in our hearts and help us to have courage to act it out. In Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for leading us uh, this evening. Uh, evening, everyone. A very uh, warm welcome to you this evening. So great that you can be watching. Uh, and very happy Mother's Day uh, as well on Sunday. Well, do keep your Bibles open to Proverbs uh, chapter, chapter 30 uh, as we explore that together this evening. But do you notice right at the start that that statement? I am weary, God. I am weary, God. Now, I'm sure that this evening, that is a statement that in part we can all relate to at the moment. I'm sure that some of us can relate to that in how we feel physically and mentally. But maybe in particular this evening, maybe we can relate to that in a spiritual sense, like um, a spiritual weariness, if you want to call it that, almost a at the moment, it feels like you've lost your spiritual taste buds. It's not that we don't believe anymore, 
but it's almost like the flavor's gone, the, the excitement's gone, the desire's gone. We've been out of touch, out of our spiritual rhythm for so long that we've we found it now so hard to, to get back on track. Whether that be watching church online or whether that be doing our quiet times, maybe it's our prayer life, maybe even in the way that we're living out a Christian life around those around us. We might tonight say, Lord, I am spiritually weary. I'm weary, God. And that's the position of the person that we're introduced to in chapter 30, this, this man, Agur, if you see in verse one. And he seems to be struggling with this spiritual weariness. And the reason that I say that is because one of the big surprises, like one of the big surprises as we start our passage comes in verse three, if you look with me. Verse three, he says, I have not learned wisdom. I've not learned wisdom and I say that surprising because we're coming into land on this book of Proverbs this is the penultimate chapter we've got one more chapter after this and we're coming to the end of a book that's whole aim and purpose as we saw at the start of Proverbs is to make us wise at Proverbs 1 verse 1 these are the Proverbs of Solomon the king of David the son of David the king of Israel for gaining wisdom and instruction and here at the end of Proverbs, there's someone telling us they haven't learned any wisdom. They have no wisdom. That's a huge surprise in this book that we're going uh, through. And it's important to know what Proverbs means by wisdom, isn't it? We've seen, haven't we, over these past couple of weeks that through these different parts of Proverbs, these sections looking at different areas of life that Proverbs gives wisdom on, that wisdom is is much more than just knowing things, knowing how to pass an exam. That's not the kind of wisdom that Proverbs is. Rather, wisdom in Proverbs is God-centered, God-focused thinking about life. God-centered, God-focused thinking about life. That's, that's wisdom in Proverbs' eyes. And so what we get here with this man, Agur, when he says that he hasn't learned any wisdom, well, he's actually saying that he's finding it hard to live in this God-centered, God-focused way of life. It's a bit of a confession here at the, the end of the book, which is, when we think about it, just so beautiful and honest and real about the struggle um, that we might find ourselves this evening, feeling spiritually weary. And so the question really is, as we look at Proverbs chapter 30 is, well, how do we become wise? How do we live? How do we live out wisdom when it's hard to live out, when it's actually a bit of a struggle? How do we get those spiritual taste buds back, if you want to call it that? How do we get our spiritual lives back on track? How do we live out the wise life? There are lots of questions there. But these are all things that actually are going to be answered in our passage. And whilst Agur struggles and says that he hasn't learned any wisdom, actually he goes on to then share some wisdom. And in these first nine verses of the chapter, what we get are almost like a summary of a starter pack of wisdom, like how to begin when it's tough to live out, how to become wise, uh, the first steps. That's what we see in Proverbs chapter 30, is it summarises so much of what we looked at and also next week in Proverbs chapter 31. So do stay tuned next week to, to see how 
the writer sums it up. But there we go. And as we go through our Proverbs, so I've got three points that will hopefully guide us through. So how do we become wise even when it's hard to live out? Well, firstly, Proverbs says, no, God is big, really big. No, God is big, really big. And that's in verse four. Now, I probably know we're all sat at home going, come on, Dan, uh, you've got to tell me something that I don't know already. Uh, of course, I know that God is big. Come on, Dan. Uh, and yet this is the reminder that Proverbs wants us to recognize this evening, isn't it? L look with me at verse four. Uh, it says, who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the winds? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? Now, in fact, these questions are actually quotes from other parts of the Old Testament, places like uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and Job 26. And when we go to those passages, we see that they are passages that go to the nth degree of explaining and highlighting the, the greatness and the vastness and the bigness, if I can use that made up word, the bigness of God. And Proverbs chapter 30 says, well, the first thing you've got to know and how to become wise, even when it's tough and it's a struggle, is to know that God is big. And whilst we might say, yes, well, I know that, actually the Bible repeats this over and over again in this style, like verse four, because whilst we might say we know that, actually we can so easily forget it. And it touches on what has been a major theme throughout Proverbs, the, the fear of the Lord, as, as you might know it, as it crops up chapter after chapter in Proverbs. Having that right perspective of God, that, that vast and that just incomprehensible view of God that, that just has to humble us when we, when, we, when we know who he is. And when we begin to think like that, and have that view of God in, in that way, well, its impact is absolutely huge. And I was just thinking about it this week, about how much of my life and my thinking changes when I hold the biggest view of God that I can possibly get, a view of God that these verses point us to. You know, I mentioned this very briefly a few weeks ago when I, I was last speaking on Proverbs, and I think it's so helpful and assuring that actually holding one of these impacts of, of those verses in Proverbs, holding that bigger view of God, it, it brings a bigger sense of peace in life when we have that. If I really hold on to the view that everything in this universe, my everything from the planets, the sun, to my heartbeat and the hairs on my head are in the control of God, then yeah, sure, at times that might present some questions when we go through some interesting times but more often than not it brings about a real peace you know often I can say that I spend most of my time worrying about things that are just outside of my control and actually it is probably the most helpful perspective to have to behold the one who's in complete control over everything the one who Proverbs says in verse 4 who has established all the ends of the earth and it's, it's no coincidence that when I hold a bigger view of God, actually my worries, they, they do become smaller in comparison. You know, my prayer life begins to be revived when I have, 
when I get this big perspective of God. Suddenly what Paul says in, in Ephesians, well, I love what he says. He says, now to him who's able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Suddenly that verse stops being just something we put on the fridge and thinks really encouraging to look at. But actually starts being a wonderful reality that we can treasure in our lives. When I hold that God is that big. Yeah. Now to him who is able to do way more than I could ever ask or imagine. And that is a reality that I and you can step into wherever, whenever we speak to God this evening. How wonderful that is. And finally, just just one final impact of what happens when we hold this big view of God is that well, it, it means that knowing him is the greatest joy in the world, too. We want to be satisfied. I think it's to be human, to want to experience joy and satisfaction and we look for it and we want to find it in so many places and yet why is it that so many testimonies and you and I know this evening that so much of what promises satisfaction doesn't deliver anything near to what we thought and yet what happens when we hold this view of God this big view of God is actually well now there is something that can satisfy me completely and fully there is a God big enough to deal with my heart and its longings and who can satisfy everything that I want in life, bring that fullness in life that I'm actually looking for. That's what happens when I hold this big view of God. It it changes so much of our thinking and the way that we go about life. And I wonder this evening, those are just a few impacts, but I wonder are our spiritual taste buds beginning to wake up as we start to look and behold our God's so how to, how to become wise? Well, firstly, know that God is big, really big. But secondly, know that God is faithful. Know that God is faithful, verses five and six. This is the second thing. Look with me at verse five, if you have a Bible. Agur says, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word of God is flawless, he says. That is, every word of God proves true or comes true. It's saying that everything that God says happens. You know, when God spoke in Genesis and he said, let there be light, there was. And when God said that he would rescue his people from slavery in Egypt, he did. When God said that he would bring his people to a land that he promised them, flowing with milk and honey, he did. When God promised that he would bring even judgment upon his own people and send them off into exile in Babylon, well, he did. When God promised that he would send a saviour to rescue us from ourselves, well, he did. When Jesus said to the paralysed man, get up, take your mat and go home, he did. When Jesus said to Matthew, like we were looking at this morning, come and follow me, he did. When Jesus, he stood up and he looked at the winds and the waves and he said, be still, they did. When Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he commanded a dead man to rise up and walk out of the tomb, he did. When Jesus repeatedly went on about his disciples that he would be arrested, beaten, crucified and three days later rise from the dead, he did. When Jesus said that his gospel, the news about him, would go to the ends of the earth and not just remain in this little city in the Middle East, well, 
it is. It has almost in one sense. And when Jesus said, well, one day he will return in more glory and more power than this world has ever known. And he will hold the world to account and give life everlasting to those who have trusted in him. And he will bring judgment on those who have rejected him. Well, are you prepared to say this evening that he won't? God has been faithful to everything he has promised. What God says, he does. And everything that God promises, he will bring about. Every word of God is flawless. It proves true. And that's why Proverbs says that it's like a shield to those who take refuge in it. There can be no greater confidence in life than God's word, therefore. There's no greater assurance. There's, there's no greater reality than, than God's word. If everything God says will come to pass. And that's also why Proverbs goes on to say what it says next in almost part B of the proverb, where it says, do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Adding to his words, it's, it's a picture of actually a, to sit in judgment on God's word, uh, to almost hear God's word and then think that our words are much better and much nicer. And how easy that can be whenever we come to reading the Bible, to be the ones that almost in one sense stand over the Bible and preside in judgment over it. That, yes, I'll take this and I'll take that, but actually I don't like this and I don't like that. Oh, oh yeah, that will happen, but actually that's not going to happen. This is going to happen. And slowly but surely we start adding to God's flawless and perfect word. And yet Proverbs shows us that God is faithful and there's only one word that ever proves true. And so adding to God's word is a bit like walking into the Louvre in, in Paris, one of the most famous art galleries. And, you know, looking at an art masterpiece like the Mona Lisa, which is absolutely priceless. And then getting out your crayons that you've brought from home and thinking that you can make some really lovely improvements to the masterpiece. And Proverbs says, when we do that with God's word, it's just going to be us that's exposed and highlighted of what a mess we've made of what was a masterpiece. There's nothing to add. There's nothing we can add. There's only one word that proves true. And as Christians, we are called to a life of faith that can make this, in one sense, a bit of a battle. We trust in things that are unseen and promises that are yet unfulfilled. And many might look and they might say, it's so foolish to live like that, to live with such confidence in, in something you can't grasp. Why trust in what you cannot see and what hasn't come? Maybe that's what's at the heart of our spiritual weariness tonight. We look around this world at the minute, we find it hard to believe that God is going to fulfill his promises, that God is faithful. But Proverbs challenges us this evening to say, are we willing to be people that bet against the faithfulness of God? Because it just doesn't, it's not a good choice 
And suddenly, when we believe wholeheartedly in the faithfulness of God, something amazing happens. That's when God's word comes alive. And suddenly we start viewing it as a treasure trove of promises that, that God is just so sure, 100% unmistakably going to fulfill. And our Bible times are revived because we know what we read isn't a fantasy. It's reality. And just like God has been faithful in everything throughout history, he will be faithful to us now and in the future. Know that God is faithful. So how to become wise, uh, even when it's hard. Know God is big. Know God is faithful. And finally, and thirdly, know your own heart. Know your own heart, verses seven to nine. Because what we get here in our final verses of the evening, you could say is, is Agur's one life request. Uh, well, his two life request, we might have to say it. Because look with me at verse seven. He says, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. And in verse eight, we get his request. Look with me. He says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonour the name of my God. In one sense, when we read through that, it seems like a girl is asking to be content in life. At verse eight, he says, give me only my daily bread. But the next proverb underneath, verse nine, part B, you could say, sheds the motivation behind the request in part A of the proverb. And so what we see is that Agur, he wants more than anything in life to be close and to be dependent on God. And the thing is, is that Agur has a very good awareness of his own heart. He knows his own heart and he knows that if he gets too much, he might not be as close and reliant upon God as he wants to be. And he's aware that if he doesn't get enough, he might rush to steal and thereby steal a dishonor God and stray from him in that way. It's almost like a girl says to God, I know my heart. You know my heart. And Lord, you know that I want one thing more, more than anything in life, to walk with you, to be close to you, to be dependent upon you. And so, Lord, don't give me anything that would prevent me from that. And as I reflected on it, isn't that just the most beautiful prayer? To say, Lord, I don't want what everyone else wants. I just want you. And Lord, give me only what will enable me to walk with you closely and wholly day by day. I love, I think this sort of reminds me of one of my favourite hymns, Come Now Fount. It's a wonderful hymn. And one of the verses, it says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And that's kind of the heart, isn't it? A girl senses his heart's prone to wonder, prone to leave the God he loves. And he, he asks God, he always like, take and seal it. <laughs> Do whatever it takes, God. Do whatever it takes for me to be close to you. It might be that the root of why we're spiritually weary this evening 
is that actually we've wandered into these things that have made us forget God, become distracted from God and stray from him. It might be like a good that we've maybe got lost in material things, financial things that have made us become so dependent upon ourselves that we forgot that we're dependent upon God for every breath. Or maybe this evening it's the reverse of that, that it goes equally as, as, as keen to stress, that almost we maybe resent God because he hasn't given us the things that maybe in our heart we really desire. And the question that really came to me as I was looking at these verses was, well, do I thank God for the things he doesn't give as much as the things that he does? I know myself, I can remember that as a, an older teenager, uh, I was dead set on uh, a certain career path. I wanted to study at a certain university. I wanted to then go into an internship and then I'd have a certain job. I had it all sorted in my mind. I, was, I, had, it, I had a 10 year plan. I was such an organized teenager. And I love God, I really did. But it, it became increasingly clear as I grew up that I wasn't going to be able to get where actually I wanted to be in life. And to be honest with you, there was a part of me that began to resent God for not giving me what I wanted. And yet I can testify this evening that actually when I look back, do you know, I think if God had let me go the way that I wanted to go and to answer my prayer requests in the way that I was asking for them, actually, I don't think I'd be as close to him at all as I am today. I think I'd be very far from him and I could see myself getting dragged into lots of different areas and, and getting distracted by lots of different things. That's what Agur says, Lord, would you work in my life so that with the things that you give and the things that you don't give would all work so that I can stay as close to you as possible? And here in Proverbs, Agur realises that God is good for not giving us some things that we really want. A girl knows his heart. That's the real core here. He knows his own struggle. He knows how prone to wander he is. And his prayer is to the Lord that he would hold him fast. And so as we reflect on this this evening, I wonder, do we know where maybe we're prone to wander this evening? Do we know where we're maybe naturally, our hearts naturally tend to lean and pull towards? What areas of our lives that actually we do stray from God as we, as we go in? Do we realise the potential that different things have to draw us away from that wisdom life, that God-centred, God-focused way of life? You see, Agur certainly knew the struggles that he faced. He knew his heart. And because he knew his heart, he meant he could do something about it. And he could realise it and he could stand firm and he could cry out to God and ask, Lord, whatever it is in life, whether you give things, whether you don't give things, would it all work to keep me close? And we know the promise in Romans, don't we, that all things work for the good of those who love God. And God does work all of these things in our lives. Sometimes as we realise our hearts, where we're prone to wonder, we just need to cry out, don't we? like a girl does, that he would keep us close and dependent on him. And we know 
this evening that we have a wonderful saviour who can sympathise with every, every one of our weaknesses as he was tempted in every way, but yet did not sin. And he is there to provide the grace that we need in each of our time of weakness. So it might be that we're weary tonight and we might be wondering, well, how do we get back on track, spiritually speaking? How can we start living out the wise life, even when it's a real struggle to do that? Well, three things to start off with Proverbs chapter 30 gives us. No, God is big, really big. <laughs> no, God is faithful. He is so faithful and his word is sure. And know your own heart. And cry out to him in wonderful and humble dependence, because we have a God who loves us. And we know that because of everything we remember today in the Lord Jesus. Well, let's pray. Let's pray now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your words. We thank you that, uh, Lord, it just it really challenges us. And Father, we just want to be those that in our lives remain close to you at every point. And Lord, we come humbly to you knowing that you are so vast and so incomprehensible. And Lord, that we can't even completely uh, understand that in our minds. And Father, we want that. We want more of that because we want to trust you and know that you are big and therefore we can trust you in all things. We thank you that you're a faithful God and we know that your word is sure and every one of the promises that you've made, you will fulfill, that one day we will see Jesus and we will see him high and lifted up in all of his glory. And Lord, we look towards that day knowing that you are faithful. And we pray, Father, that we would each know our own hearts and the ways that we can be prone to wonder. We pray, Father, that you would protect us and that you would hold us fast to yourself. And that in life, whatever it is, Father, that you would only give us what we need so that we may Lord, stay so close to you and that we may not, uh, Lord, uh, get distracted and move away from you. Lord, we pray this because we love the Lord Jesus and we thank you for all he's done for us. In his name we pray. Amen.